0: Welcome to the podcast for West Side of Jesus Church. We hope this teaching encourages and empowers you to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus. This morning we are continuing in our series called Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And as a church, over these last couple of years especially, we've been on this journey of really wanting to lean in and understand and grow in what it means to be a church that prays and experiences and lives into the empowering presence of God. And so this series is our way of kind of setting out on this journey of understanding who is the Spirit and what does it mean to live life in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So you're definitely going to need a Bible today. If you don't have one, you can throw your hand in the air and our wonderful ushers will come and give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take this one with you and read it. Throughout your week, there's a lot of great stuff in it. So you're going to need a Bible. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3. If you've got a phone, that works too. No judgment, no shame. Luke 3. I'll be on my device as well. So you're not alone. Now as you're turning there, I want to begin this morning by first acknowledging that we all come into this conversation about the Holy Spirit with different experiences and different backgrounds. All of us, when we come into the conversation about who He is and what He does and what our role in all of this is, we come with different backgrounds and experiences. Now, when the teaching team got together to kind of pray into and begin preparing for this series, one of the first things that we did is we just sat in a circle and we all went around and we shared about our different experiences with the Holy Spirit and with the gifts of the Spirit, and it was like wild. We all have like different experiences with the Spirit. And it was really fascinating to get to hear about how all of these differences, like our different uh, families of origin, our different education, our different personal experiences have all shaped how we show up to this conversation. But as different as all of that stuff was, there were definitely some similarities. And one of the major common themes that kind of rose to the surface is that we all had this deep common desire for more, for more of God for more of his presence, for more of his power at work in our lives. We had a desire for more. Now, just a a quick backstory on my own experience to kind of pull back the curtain and say, hey, this is the journey that I've been at. So a bit of context, I grew up in a Christian home. I was raised uh, by a father who didn't have much religious background at all, and a mother who was raised Catholic turned charismatic. And she really set the the spiritual temperature and trajectory of our home. She was definitely the spiritual leader of our household. And me and my two siblings, we grew up going to church every Sunday. And it was a a wonderful church that Jesus was at the center of and the teaching was rooted and anchored in the scriptures. And it cultivated in in me this deep desire to like love and know and live life for Jesus and to like understand more of who he is by reading the scriptures and I'm so grateful for that. Another part of my experience is that from K through 12th grade, I grew up going to a Baptist school. K through 12th grade, they're what uh, you call a lifer. So when I graduated from high school, there was like this list of students that would be on the screen like these are the lifers of Highview Baptist school and there was me. K through 12th grade, Baptist school. And in my Bible class at school that we had to take every single year, I remember when we got to the lesson on the Holy Spirit. And as we began to unpack who he was and the gifts of the Spirit, my school taught that the gifts of the Spirit, such as speaking in tongues and healing and words of knowledge and all that stuff, had ceased. All of it ceased with the apostles a couple thousand years ago. And this is what's known as the doctrine, maybe you're familiar with this, of cessationism. It's this fancy term that means the gifts of the Spirit are not for today, And as a high schooler, I remember kind of being a little confused by this. I was confused because I'm like, okay, we're saying that this doesn't exist now. We don't have access to these gifts, but every once in a while I can catch my mom in her quiet time with the Lord praying in tongues. So I'm like, interesting. And I would go on mission trips and I would hear these incredible stories about how the miraculous was breaking through all over the place. My Trinity, I guess you could say in a lot of ways, and maybe some of you can relate, uh, functionally was more like Father, Son, and Holy Bible. For a large part of my life, the Holy Spirit was, as Francis Chan brilliantly describes in his book, Forgotten God, was the forgotten God in my life. Jesus was awesome, I love Jesus. What's not to love, right? He saved me from my sin, he's loving, he's kind, he does all these incredible things. Jesus made sense to me. The spirit wasn't ever really talked about, at least not in a way that seemed to bear any direct implications for how it was supposed to impact my everyday life. When I was in high school, I started going to this Bible study on Sunday nights. I was like, super church girl, I'll just own it. Like, I went to all the things. I'm like, church leadership, sign me up. Like, serving in kids, sign me up. I want to do all the things. I desperately wanted to be on stage singing, but that wasn't really a part of it, so I just married someone who does it, and that's worked out great for me. Um, But when I was in high school, I started going to this Bible study on Sunday nights. It was called Radiate. And it was great, it was for people who really wanted to go deeper in their relationship uh, with Jesus and what it meant to live like him. And so again, I was like, sign me up, I'm in. Essentially what we did when we got together for this Bible study is that we would study the life and the strategy of Jesus. Big emphasis on strategy of Jesus. And so we were looking at how did Jesus make disciples? And which, that sounds awesome in a lot, and in a lot of ways it was, but the harder that I tried to understand and implement the strategy of Jesus to make disciples, which in this Bible study, it really kind of focused in on like his strategy was about having a clear mission and an end goal and not wasting a moment on that mission and pursuing that goal. The more I tried to implement that strategy, if I'm honest, the more overwhelmed I felt despite my genuine desire to follow the example and live the question that was on my bracelet, WWJD. How many of you guys had that bracelet? You still have that bracelet. Yeah, WWJD, I'm like, I'm gonna live this in the moment of everyday life as I go to lunch at school and, and I do all this stuff. The more that I tried to do that, the more like worried I found myself feeling and stressed out about whether or not I was doing it right or saying it the right way. And I was just like stressed out. I didn't have a lot of language for that experience at the time, but as I've come to love and learn a ton from Dallas Willard, he's really given me some helpful language to understand what this experience was like for me as a teenage girl who for the most part, genuinely wanted to do what Jesus would do. Dallas Willard says this, Asking ourselves what would Jesus do when suddenly in the face of an important situation simply is not an adequate discipline or preparation to enable one to live as he lived. It no doubt will do some good and is clearly better than nothing at all, but the act alone is not sufficient to see us boldly and confidently through a crisis. And listen to this. And we could easily find ourselves driven to despair over the powerless tension it will put us through. That powerless tension that Willard refers to is exactly how I felt. I was in that tension. I wanted to do what Jesus would do. I wanted my life to bear the kind of fruit that Jesus did, power, love, joy, endurance, faith. But it was becoming really clear to me that my best efforts were not enough and to be honest, I was kind of starting to think like, you know what, maybe all this stuff about Jesus having like a light burden and an easy yoke and that he like invites us all to just find rest in him, maybe that's more of like an expression of hope or, or a nice theory or, or goal that we can kind of aim at, but never really live into. Maybe it's more of an expression of hope instead of a, a statement about reality. Again, in some ways, the harder I seem to try, just the heavier things seem to feel as I put forth all my effort. And my guess is that this morning, some of you can relate to that experience. Are you weary? Are you thirsty? That first question that we asked at the start of this series, are you thirsty? I don't pretend to know what you're coming into this garage with today. I don't know what your experience with the Holy Spirit has been like. Maybe for some of you, this is kind of like ground zero and in the conversation. The first time you're really kind of asking these questions and wanting to learn and grow in who he is and what it means to live life with him. Maybe others of you, you're here and you're just seeking a season of recovery, of recovery for the way that maybe you've been wounded by the mishandling and misuse of the gifts. Others of you, you might be here today and you're like waiting in the deep end of dependence upon uh, the Holy Spirit in your life and it's wonderful and beautiful. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, here's my hope. My hope today and the prayer that I've been praying as I've been thinking about and preparing for our gathering today is this, that as we zoom into the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus, Every single one of us would walk out of this garage today with a deeper sense of awe and wonder at the example that we have in Jesus to live our everyday, ordinary lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge that you're here with us right now. Thank you. Thank you that you're with us. I pray, God, that as we open up your word today, you would speak to us that things that maybe have felt unclear or um, confusing, you would just tune us in and you would help us take that next step in what it means to live a life empowered by your spirit. Be with us, guide us today. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. So quick recap. Last week, Richard did a brilliant job, like brilliant job of answering the all important question of who is the spirit? This question, it really, really matters. Like Richard mentioned last week, if we jump straight into talking about the fruit of the spirit or the stuff that the spirit does without first taking time to understand who he is, Things can get kind of messy. There's a disconnect that starts to happen. And when this disconnect happens, things can get really weird and disorienting and just really unhelpful. And so, understanding who the, the, the spirit is, it's like setting the stage or, or setting the coordinates of where we're going. I've, I've never flown a plane, but I do know that the coordinates are very important when it comes to how that plane is going to land. So, that conversation is really important. I want to encourage you go back and listen to it if you haven't, because today we're going to be building on that theological foundation that he began to lay, and we're going to build off of it throughout the course of this entire teaching series. But Gordon Fee, very helpful, very smart guy, he gives us a really clear one-sentence summary of Richard's teaching that I want us to keep at the forefront of our minds today as we look at the life of Jesus. So if you're taking notes, write this at the very top. This is Gordon Fee. He's answering the question, who is the spirit? He says this, the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit is God's person, God's power, God's presence, and if you're here today and you want to see more of the empowering presence of God at work in your life, you long to hear his voice, you long to be led by him and see an increase of the supernatural power of God at work in your life, here's the good news. The good news that we're gonna dive into and zoom in on today is that we have an example that we can follow someone who actually shows us the way into the more that we're longing for. Look at Colossians 2, 9 9 through 10. It's gonna be on the screen with me. It says this, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. I love how the message paraphrases this verse. Uh, It says this, everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope a microscope or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together in you. And listen to this last line, his power extends over everything. I love that. Paul is essentially saying, God expresses all of himself in Jesus. And so if we wanna know what the empowering presence of God looks like on full display, like at its best, then Jesus, is our example, the one that we look to. So the two-part question that we're asking this morning is this, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus? And what does that mean for us? How does that change the way that we show up to the very ordinary, everyday parts of our lives? You tracking with me? All right, Luke chapter three, you've got it open? Here we go, Luke three, we're gonna pick up verse 21 says this, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So Jesus gets baptized in the Holy Spirit comes onto him, it's like a dove, it comes onto his physical body. Jump over to the next chapter, Luke chapter four, picking up in verse one. It says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, notice this language of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Skip down to verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Maybe underline that, highlight that. We've got Jesus full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. He's tempted. He returns now in the power of the Spirit. And the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Let's pause right here for a minute. Anointing isn't like common practice or language that we use in uh, the here and now. So it's important that we take just a minute and unpack this really quick. This language of anointing is where we get our language for Messiah. Messiah literally means, how many of you guys know the answer to this? It literally means anointed one. Yeah, I'm going to trust that some of you got that out there. (laughs) Messiah literally means anointed one. In ancient Israel, uh, they would anoint someone with oil, meaning they would like douse them, drench them uh, in oil. And the reason they did that is because oil was symbolic for the Holy Spirit. To anoint someone with oil was essentially a way of saying the Holy Spirit is on that person and at work through that person in a significant way, in a special way. So to anoint someone with oil, again, it's to say the Holy Spirit is on them. And to say that someone is the Messiah, the anointed one, was pointing them towards the person who God's Spirit was gonna come and rest on, the one that they had been longing for that would initiate God's kingdom the one whose spirit would be on in a special way. And so this prophecy is a prophecy about the Messiah. And here's what the Messiah is all about. Jesus continues to read from the prophet Isaiah. He says, The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is... (laughs) the Messiah stuff, the kingdom stuff. And then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And they said to one another, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. This text, this is Luke's way of, of saying to us that Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one from Isaiah 61 that God's people had been longing for and waiting for for hundreds of years. Jesus is the Messiah and he is here to usher in the kingdom. And I know for lots of you, you're like, yeah, got it. I've been to church for a while. This isn't news to me. This, this makes sense. I'm with you. Okay, cool. Here's why this matters. For Luke, the way that Jesus does all of this Messiah, kingdom of God stuff, like healing the sick and setting the oppressed free and opening blind eyes, it all comes from look down at Luke 4.14. How does he do it? He does it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how did Jesus do what we see him do from this point forward in his uh, ministry of healing, of redeeming, of restoring what's been broken and lost into fullness? How does he do it? He does it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So track with me, we're gonna go deep here for a moment and then we're gonna pull up and hopefully it'll begin to kind of all tie together and make some sense. So what this means is that there are really two ways of understanding the miracles that Jesus did. One way is to look at the miracles that Jesus did and say, oh, this is proof that Jesus is God, that Jesus is God. The problem with that is that all sorts of people in the Bible did the stuff that Jesus did. We just did an Acts series, Richard mentioned this, we just did a whole series on the book of Acts where we saw people just like you and me doing miracles, where we see the sick healed and blind eyes open and demons being cast out, like all of this stuff we see people doing. And even not, not just in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, you look at the life of Elijah and almost every miracle that we see Jesus do, we see Elijah do, do a deep dive on that, it's fascinating. And so there's a problem if we look to the miracles and and we say, oh, it's evidence, it's proof that Jesus is God. Well, there's a breakdown there. And so I want to suggest to you this morning, and I'm not doing this just in my own like smart thinking, I'm not this smart, I've been on a journey, I'm still very much on a journey. But after some study, I want to suggest to you that there's a better way for us to understand the miracles and it's this, the miracle stories are signs. If you were here a few weeks back, Brian Fowler really did a deep dive on this. They are signs of the in-breaking kingdom of God through his anointed one, who the spirit of God was very much on and working through in a special way through Jesus. And when Jesus does miracles, it's not so much proof that he's God as it is signs that the long-awaited kingdom of God is here and Jesus is the king of that kingdom, does that make sense? So the question then, if that's true, if if the miracles aren't so much proof that he's God, but are more so this sign that's pointing to the reality that the kingdom of God is here and that Jesus is the king of that kingdom, the question then becomes, then how does Jesus do all of the amazing stuff that he's doing? If it's not because he's God, then how is he doing it? And again, Luke, 4.14, he's doing it in the power of the Spirit. He's living life in the power and independence on the Holy Spirit. Thomas Oden, he gives some helpful language to this. He says, as a man, Jesus walked day by day in radical dependence upon God, the Spirit, He prayed and he spoke by the power of the Spirit. In portraying Jesus as constantly dependent on the Spirit, the gospels were not challenging or questioning his deity or divine sonship. Rather, as an eternal son, the theandric person already was truly God, while as a man, Jesus was truly human. Bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, seed of Abraham who humanity was continually replenished by the spirit. So in other words, when God became human in Jesus, when God became human, he set aside his God powers. All of his God powers, he sets them aside to become a real life human being. So Jesus, he's not just pretending to be human. This is really important for us to grasp this morning. He's not pretending to be human. Jesus is both fully God and fully human. He's God and he's Jesus of Nazareth. If you're curious about like, I think sometimes we have a hard time understanding how he uh, was fully human, but for the hearers of this day, did you notice how they respond when Jesus says, hey, these words are fulfilled in your hearing today. Look again, it says, isn't this Joseph's son? They're very aware of, of Jesus's humanity, so much so that they start like whispering amongst each other like, is this for real? Is he really saying this? It's fascinating. Look at Philippians 2, 5 through 7. This is really helpful. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Other translations here say, he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made and human likeness. So something is happening here. What Paul is helping us understand that in becoming human, Jesus He lays down his God powers. Other scholars use the language of his deity was veiled. His deity was veiled. So for example, let's flesh this out just a little bit more. Are you hanging in there with me? Are you there? Are you awake? Okay. So for example, God we know is omnipresent, which is just a really fancy way of saying God is everywhere all the time. God's everywhere all the time, but was Jesus everywhere all the time? When you read through the accounts of his life in the four gospels, we don't see him show up in like multiple places at the very same time. Jesus was bound to the laws of nature. He was in flesh and blood embodied in space and in time. So is Jesus omnipresent? No, great, you're doing awesome. Next, we know that God is omnipotent, which is a way of saying he's all powerful. God never gets tired, he is all powerful. But was Jesus all powerful? I know, track with me. We see throughout the accounts of his life, different moments and Richard kind of highlighted some of these last week where where it talks about how Jesus got tired, both physically and emotionally. He loves to sleep on boats. We like see him doing that a handful of times. It's a good place to take a nap, which I'm all about. Wish I had a boat to do that on. Um, He gets hungry, he gets worn down. And so was Jesus omnipotent when he walked the earth? Was he omnipotent? No. And lastly, we know that God is omniscient, that he's all knowing. He knows everything that there is to know about everything, including you, which for some of you, you're like, oh, yikes. Yeah. It's a good reminder. But was Jesus all knowing? No. We see him in conversations with people ask the question of like, when he goes to someone's house to heal someone, how long have they been like this? And I I don't think he's just like trying to strike up some random conversation to pass the time. I think he's genuinely trying to understand like how long have they been like this? A really clear example is when Jesus is teaching on his own return. He's talking about when he's gonna come and when he's gonna bring the kingdom of God in its fullness forever. And he says that no one knows the day or the time. No one knows when it's going to happen, the day or the hours. And he says, not even the Messiah knows. I think Jesus was telling the truth. When he says, hey, no one knows the time. I'm gonna come back, but no one knows the time, including me. And so was Jesus omniscient. Great job. No, some of you are like, that feels weird to say. It's okay. It's okay, it's good. So by becoming human, essentially what we're getting at, again, is that Jesus, he laid aside, he veiled his deity, he laid down the God powers. When I was growing up, I heard it talked about as like he laid down his God card. Sometimes I think we think that Jesus in certain moments, he just like used his God card. And this was really trippy for me when, I, when someone was talking to me about this and they were like, yeah, Jesus didn't just grow up with like a direct download of all of the scriptures and he just walked around like an encyclopedia. And I, to be honest, I kind of thought that he did. So this like kind of blew my mind and continues to like kind of blow my mind a little bit. But he lays down the God card And and to help flesh this out even just a little bit further, think about when, uh, in the verse that we just read, we talk about how he's led by the spirit into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. What's one of the the ways that he's tempted? He's tempted to turn a rock into bread. But is turning a, a rock into bread a sin? Like if I'm on a camping trip and I really am in need of some bread, I don't think that it would be sinful for me to like try to turn it in. Maybe that's weird. Maybe, yeah, we shouldn't get into that conversation. That's kind of weird. But was it a sin? I would argue no. So then why was it a temptation for Jesus? Well, I think it was a temptation for Jesus because the enemy is trying to get him to pick up his God card. Does that make sense? But he doesn't do it. He resists temptation and he comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus, when he goes around and he's healing the sick and doing amazing things, he isn't utilizing his own divine power that he has by virtue of being the son of God. Instead, he's partnering with the spirit to do all of it. This is massive. He's partnering with the spirit to do all of it. And here's why this is important. This means that Jesus is the example the real life prototype for all of his followers. Jesus did all that he did as a spirit-filled, spirit-dependent human being. And to state the very obvious, we're all human beings too. We're all human beings too. And so Jesus, what we're essentially getting at is that Jesus is the picture of what it means to be fully human and to live a fully surrendered life to the spirit all of a sudden, hopefully you feel this excitement raising in the room, all of a sudden, the example that we have in Jesus is exciting and Jesus wanted us to feel that excitement. This is why in John 14, he says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater things because I am going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. And he says, if you ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And so what are the works that Jesus has been doing? He's been healing. He's been doing all of these amazing things. And he looks to all of us and he says, you will do even greater things. How? The same way Jesus did. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm looking at the clock right now and I'm like, whoa. That was a lot and I'm basically out of time. So let me just jump to a couple more things and then we're gonna wrap it up. I feel like our time flew by this morning. Am I the only one? (laughs) Holy cow, we're barely scratching the surface. Good thing Richard did a podcast. Like go and listen to the podcast. It does a deep dive on a lot of this stuff. It'll be good for you. Go and check that out. So let me get to what I really sensed as I was preparing for this time, the Lord wanted to put in front of us and encourage us in. Maybe you hear all of this and you're like, this sounds awesome of like, wow, like Jesus did stuff empowered by the spirit and I can do stuff in that same power. But you're sitting here and you're like, that sounds great, but I don't feel that power. I don't do that stuff. And so where is the power? And this is where, again, understanding the person of the Holy Spirit is really important, that he's not a force He's a person, he's not a force that we can wield, he's a person to live in relationship with. A quick example, so quick story, one last word and we'll be done. Lots of you know that I have a physical disability. If you don't know, it's good for you to know cause it'll make more sense if you see me standing and then all of a sudden I'm in a wheelchair. I have a physical disability. Lots of you guys know that. And that means that like, there's some really practical things in my life that are really hard, like walking and whatever. Long story short, uh, I'm super weak physically, which makes me very prone to falling. If I'm not like holding on to a friend's arm or um, like in my wheelchair, I'm super prone to falling. And lots of you also know that I'm married to Jordan. And He's really strong. If you didn't know that about him, he's really strong. He like runs and he works out and he's fantastic. And he helps me a ton. And one day, a couple of summers ago, Jordan was here at work, he was at rehearsal and I was at home alone and we have a dog. And I was like, okay, I need to take the dog out. So I took her right across the street to the dog park. And um, my, our dog like, loves to play fetch, but she's very territorial when she gets a ball in her mouth. And she had found someone else's ball there. She took it as her own. And then that sweet lady who owned that dog and that dog's ball came up to me. She's like, hey, we're leaving, we need the, the ball back. So I'm like, okay, great. I'm gonna try to wrestle this out of my dog's mouth. And it didn't go well. And essentially her dog wrapped around me and it was a big mess and I fell to the ground. And I was stuck. These days it's pretty much impossible for me when I fall to the ground to be able to get back up. And she is so kind, she was older. She had just explained to me how she had had some knee surgery and problems, but she offered a hand to help. And I was like, didn't know how to tell her like, it's not gonna cut it. We need more strength than this. (laughs) And so the falling was hard enough, but then I realized I didn't have my phone. So then the panic started to set in and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? I'm in this dog park. My husband is at rehearsal and I don't know what to do. But I'm in a relationship with Jordan and he knows me and I know him and we knew uh, that it, he knows that if he gets a call from me at rehearsal, uh, it's like important, it's really, really important. I didn't have a phone though, so I flagged down a stranger and I was like, hey, can I use your cell phone? I called, Jordan doesn't answer and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving a voicemail. I'm like, I really hope you get this, I'm stuck at the park, I fallen in it. I can't get up, I hope you come here. <laughs> 45 minutes later, Jordan comes in and he helps me up. And in that moment, as I waited, all I wanted to do was to be able to like wield the strength of Jordan in that moment. But no matter how hard I may have wanted that or have tried to do that, it wasn't going to help me stand up. I needed Jordan to be present. And when he came, we partnered together and he got me back up in that partnership Mostly looks like me just throwing my arms up in the air. He does 90% of the work. But together, I got back up off the ground. Here is my point. In the same way, as we grow in relationship, because we have relationship, Jordan and I have relationship, we have to talk about the nature of my limitations and my disease, and so he's well acquainted and we're in relationship with one another. As we grow in relationship to the Holy Spirit, we grow in power we grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mike Pilavachi sums this up by saying this the power is in the presence. The power is in the presence. This is why Moses, when he asked God to show him his glory, he also said this if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses, he's tapping into something that's so important for us to grab a hold of today. He knew that Israel, no matter how strong its military power was, no matter how much money and resources it had, if it did not have the presence of Jesus, all of that was worthless. And so last verse I want us to look at today. This is where we're gonna land. 2 Corinthians twelve nine. This is one of my all-time favorite verses, especially someone who's prone to perfectionism and control. I love this verse. It says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. His power is not made perfect in our strength. Because as Mike Pilavachi says, in our strength, We rely on our strength. But when we come to the end of ourselves, friends, I want us to get this today. When we come to the end of ourselves and in our weakness, we open ourselves to the power of God. The power of God. When we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God and that is when miracles happen. It's in our dependency in a world that idolizes independence as a metric for success, a key metric for success. Dependence is not just viewed as weakness, it's viewed as failure. And Jesus, as he lives a dependent life upon the Father and the Spirit, he flips the script. Dependency is the secret of ministry. In our weakness, he is strong. This is why Jesus says, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit, they know that they need. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. You're aware of your need. The Holy Spirit, he comes to those who know they need. To those who like Moses know that they can't do it without him. For those who know that their best efforts amount to nothing. He comes to the thirsty. He comes to the broken. He comes to the needy. So as you go into your week this week, the invitation, the way that you can begin to put this into practice, if you want to live a life empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit and to take one step deeper in your dependence, the invitation is to practice setting aside a rhythm of silence and solitude. This could be two minutes a day, one minute, start where you are. But silence and solitude has a way of of bringing us into dependence. So many of us, we get caught up in doing because it has a way of masking our insecurity. We find so much of our identity in being able to do in order to be independent. And silence and solitude is a way of setting that aside, acknowledging our need, and being present to his presence because his power is where? In his presence. And so as we move now into a time of response through worship, communion, and prayer, we're just gonna practice this for a moment together and and, and the Holy Spirit keys aren't gonna play behind us. We're just gonna sit in a moment of silence. I just want to invite you, acknowledge your need before God, be with him in his presence. Let's do this now. Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, we declare that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you that you are with us. And in our weakness, you are strong. As we go into this next moment of worship, would we be filled with the power and presence of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from Westside at Jesus Church. If you've been blessed by our ministry and would like to partner with us through giving, please visit westsideajc.org/give.